Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Reconciling Grace. My name is Pete Vecchi, and I am joined in the studio today by Vicki Cundiff. And then remotely, we are going to have a whole panel of people joining us. I'm going to introduce some of them in just a little bit. Uh, but what we're going to be talking about today is something that has been on my heart for a long time. Um, I've served as a pastor. Vicki's served as a pastor. Um, and we've also had children, right, Vicki? Yes. And so one of the things now, not not children together, I just want to make sure people <laughs> understand that. Uh, we are not in any way related, but I am related to a couple of the people who are going to be with us today. In fact, my son and my daughter-in-law, who are both uh, preacher's kids, Mick Wells is part of our regular panel. Mick is also a preacher's kid, but from probably an earlier generation than any of the other preacher's kids here. Pastor Mac, P. Mac, Don McDonald, is with us today remotely, as is his daughter, Joy Lyle. So there are a lot of people with us today, and we're going to be talking a little bit about preacher's kids. And I'd just like to kind of start things off by thinking about this. If you are part of a church, if you've ever been at a church where there is a new pastor coming in, now, now Don, the people at your church don't remember this because it's been so long since they've had a new pastor coming in. What is it, 27 years? 26 years, for the record. Don't, don't make me that old yet. Okay, well, still, it's been quite a while. But a lot of other people um, seem to have pastors that only last a few years, and then they get a new pastor. And, and what it seems is that we have um, a lot of excitement, a lot of expectation, especially on the part of the people who are going to see a new pastor. They think, okay, this is going to do X, Y, Z for the church. And it's almost always positive. They have this new perspective, new possibilities, optimism, a fresh start. Here comes a new pastor. And what often happens is that that pastor has a family. And you know what I have found, folks? I have found that so often there are unwritten rules and all kinds of expectations that all kinds of people have for pastors' families. I think that we could sometime do an episode on pastor spouses, but this one's going to be on preacher's kids because I think that there are a lot of expectations a lot of times for preacher's kids. What are some of those expectations? Well, I can just think of some of the things that happen um, that, uh, hey, we're going to be starting a brand new kids program because our pastor's uh, family is expecting a new child. We're going to have a brand new nursery program going on and it's going to be self-built in or, or our, our pastor is coming in and, and this pastor has teenagers. Our new teen program is going to be just getting the, the perfect start. And there are a lot of expectations there um, that that people have about teenagers and about other preacher's kids. Maybe they're babies. Maybe no, they don't have such an expectation for the babies. But, you know, even from the earliest ages of, of toddlers all the way up through teen years, there are a lot of expectations. So 
what I'd like to do is I'd like each uh, person right now, maybe if we can, to give a little bit of their background. Uh, we do have preacher's kids. Why don't I start this way? Mick, you're you're there. You've been kind of the unique preacher's kid in this group because you're part of the um, regular panel here. But why don't you share with us a little bit about what it was like when you grew up as a preacher's kid going back to what was it, maybe the 1960s and 70s? Well, it actually goes back when I was born. My dad was a, uh, a preacher. Now, my experiences and memories start, of course, about age three. I tell you, we've got travel stickers all over us. My sister and I growing up in a pastor's home. Uh, by the age of 18, I had lived in 15 houses in many, many towns. Um, I wouldn't trade my upbringing for anything, but there are challenges. Everybody born in this world has challenges, but uh, there's some uniquenesses about um, growing up as a, a pastor's child. And I, one of the indelible memories I have is concerns expectations, and I'm sure the other panel members may uh, share in this, expectations of people we seek to serve in in the church. Uh, whether there's a literal job description or not, there seems to be an unwritten job description for the pastor, maybe maybe a written one there, but also for the pastor's wife and the pastor's kids. And um, it takes a while to find these things out. And uh, so the expectations and living up to them, finding out what they are uh, was a challenge for me, I didn't always do that. Um, the uh, pastor's children are typically reputed to be miscreants and, and uh, have behavioral problems. At the same time, they have got a higher bar that people will say, you're a pastor's kid, you should know better, you should act this way or that. I'm, I'm no exception to those experiences. Uh, share one more thing too. The, since you live in a church parsonage, a lot of times the people of the church say, well, you're living in the home that we provide you, and they just freely walk in the house. There are different types of challenges, and I'll let the others share at this point. Maybe some of the experiences are similar despite the generational gap here. Sure, because, um, Mick, I know that you, as you said, uh, you moved around a lot. Now, I think that would be contrasting a lot to Joy. Joy, you really were only the pastor's kid at one church, isn't that correct? Yep, from the age of three to now, it has been the entire church, the same church the entire time. What were some of your experiences there? Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that that has shaped me differently than maybe Mick, um, just because I didn't get the baggage of moving around as much, but I did get the baggage of everyone knowing who my father was and who I was supposed to be. And I think it's a testament to my father's ministry that he's a staple and a cornerstone of the community at this point in our time in ministry. However, that led to a lot of expectations and a lot of um, a lot of people feeling as if they understood me without really knowing me because they knew my dad. And so they assumed that they knew who I was. And in some ways that was very damaging to me growing up because I felt like I had to meet those expectations. And if I didn't, I didn't feel like I could be truly and fully myself. And so it took me a very long time to be okay being the person that I feel God has created me to be because there was a lot of expectations because we had been in the same place for so long. That's really interesting. Um, 
that kind of leads me into thinking a little bit about Sarah. Uh, your 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 experience is maybe slightly different because, if I'm not mistaken, your dad wasn't called to pastor a church until you were a little older. Isn't that correct? Yeah, um, I was 13 before he started our church, and um, so I had grown up in a larger church, just one of many, and um, we started an in-home Bible study. I don't know exactly when that even started, that my sister and I would watch all the children of everyone who attended. It was just kind of expected that that would be our role when the Bible study was happening. So that was from pretty early on. And then um, when I was 13, we left our large church and our church became that Bible study. And it was in our home for quite some time. And we hopped um, on Sunday mornings from church to church locally, trying to find a place to call home until we had our building of our own. And we met in an elementary school for a while. And then um, after we had been there for several years, the year I left for college, they started in an actual building of our own in Pleasantville, Ohio. Were there any kind of unique challenges there um, as far as expectations for you as a pastor's kid? Um, With the church being so small, with starting out um, in our home and the people that were starting the church with us were all people I had known for several years and known very closely. And it was a very tight knit community. So I didn't, I didn't feel any of, um, I don't, I don't know. I felt expectations, I guess, but it wasn't that I felt like anyone expected more from me than I could give. And because of the age that I was, since I was 13, I wanted to be an adult. I wanted to be involved and I wanted to be looked at as someone who was contributing. So I tried to find roles for myself, um, as our church was starting, whether that would be helping get the coffee together in the morning so that everybody could feel awake or helping set up the big panels that we put up in the gymnasium to help kind of divide our sanctuary area and things like that, that I could feel like I was doing something worthwhile. So you were kind of a helper is what you're saying. And then I'm going to call my son Matthew because I've called him Matthew my whole life. He goes by Matt, but whoever, you know, whatever I call him, it's the same person. And, And Matthew, you kind of had a little bit different experience as you were explaining before we even came on um, on air today that you didn't start out necessarily as a pastor's kid. It was a preacher's kid, though, because um, I was an evangelist. Uh, what kind of experiences did you have that might might be unique or, or things that maybe you never even told me about how you felt about being a preacher's kid? Well, I think most things at this point I've told you, I may not have told you at the time it was happening, but uh, I think by now you you probably know about everything. But uh, one big difference from being you know an evangelist kid and a, a pastor's kid, uh, it wasn't always that you know I wasn't moving around, but there were times when you know you wouldn't be there because you were out holding a revival. So. Uh, in the summertime, it was great because I still have very, very fond memories of um, learning to do things that are absolutely irrelevant in today's world, like reading a paper atlas while we were driving to a, <laughs> on a on a road trip uh, for you to preach a revival, and you know just kind of keeping track of that, halfway helping and halfway passing the time. Uh, so in the summertime, getting to spend time with you was something that I really, really, truly enjoyed. Uh, but it was tough during the school year because you might still have to go places and I couldn't go with because I couldn't miss school. Uh, that included, you know, I remember there were times when it was over my birthday and you couldn't be there for my birthday uh, because you were out preaching a revival and that's what you were called to do. That was your job. And that's 
you know, it was, it was disappointing. It's nothing that I harbor any you know, ill will about now, but you know, there were times that I missed you because of that. And one, one thing I do remember um, is that you were on a retreat with our home church in Florida, and you had had a great time, a great time of bonding with that youth group. And you came home and you found out, hey, dad has been now called to become a pastor at another church. What was that like for you? So that was uh, actually particularly rough for me. Uh, I, was, I was 14. And I was also transitioning from you know, middle school into high school. So a lot of things changing there. Um, school was about to start. And then you know, I had this great emotional high with all my friends in the youth group uh, at our church. And I loved it. And I came home and it was, it was kind of like being hit with a ton of bricks in a way. So um, I do remember my initial reaction was I was, I was happy. I was happy for you. Uh, because I knew that you had been feeling like your call was changing from evangelism to, you know, pastoring and you were having difficulty um, in some ways, you know, continuing with evangelism. So I remember my initial response was that I was very happy. And then it just sunk in all the ramifications of, of what that meant and all those changes that came in and uh, ended up, the church that we we're going to had a youth group of me and a brother and sister. <laughs> so it was very different and uh, just a, in some ways kind of a, a big letdown and not a, a great start to making the transition from evangelist kid to a pastor's kid. Uh, well, so yeah, I know that, 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 yeah, I knew that that was kind of hard for you there. And um, Right now, I think what we need to do is take a quick break for our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Reconciling Grace. And we're back with Reconciling Grace, talking to an extended panel today, especially about preachers' kids. And one of the things that we had just talked about before our break was how when I was called to pastor a church right after my son had just had a great experience with uh, the youth group at the church we belonged to, um, it was kind of an interesting situation for him, even spiritually, because he was needing to um, realize that we need to follow God's call, and he was happy for me going to pastor a church, even though it was something that he wasn't um, necessarily thrilled about, at least at first in his own heart, just because he had just had such a great bonding time with his previous youth group. And then, um, Joy, I think that there was something maybe you wanted to uh, jump off from with that. Wasn't there a comment that you'd like to share at this point? Yeah, I think it was something along the lines of, first of all, what Matt said very resonated with me because I had very similar experiences growing up um, where even though I knew that ministry was important, even though I knew that was my dad's call and I felt very blessed to be a part of that, there were definitely sacrifices that I felt like I had to make for that that I wasn't necessarily asked about. Um, I'm having a very specific memory of being in like seventh grade and my dad being an hour and a half late to pick me up for something and being so embarrassed and scared and anxious about it. And yet something had come up within the church and obviously that needed to be taken care of. And so um, that very clearly gave me a little bit of the message of 
church things come first and I come second. And obviously like I've worked through that um, and my dad and I have a very healthy relationship, but as my work is a mental health clinician, I see a few pastor's kids and that's actually a theme that I see quite a bit. Uh, pastor's kids thinking that they come second to the church and that their needs are not nearly as important as the needs of others. And that can carry on to some very unhealthy patterns later in life. Do you think that sometimes um, a lot of that is because those are the expectations of the church members, maybe? Do you think church members are just totally not thinking about how things might um, affect preachers' kids? That's a good question. I think it's a little bit of both. I think that definitely there are expectations of church people. And in their own moment of crises, I mean, if you're in a moment of crisis, you're not thinking about the sacrifices that others are made. You're thinking about surviving the crisis and getting through. And that's fair. And crisis happens. And I'm, I'm glad that I got to help people through crisis by sacrificing for my family. But let me be clear, that was a sacrifice on my end and one that I was not necessarily asked to give. But on the other hand, I also feel as if it must be difficult for the pastor to figure out how to balance between caring for their church family and their immediate family. And I sit with a lot of pastors as well. And it seems to be a struggle to know how to balance all of the pieces and what pieces come first at what time. And I oftentimes feel like pastors have a hard time realizing and don't necessarily get what their kids are going through, that they don't necessarily get the unconscious sacrifices that are being made. And it's difficult to figure out how to balance everything at once. I don't know. Like I said, I'd be personally very interested to hear what my dad has to say about this. I I, I think, Joy, when, when you ask that question, um, it's always been a struggle figuring out the balance between pastor and a dad. And sometimes I'm seen as dad as well as pastor in the life of the church, as you're well aware of. Um, and there were days where I had to accept one reality. No matter what I did, it wasn't going to be right. And then I knew I'd have to pick up the pieces either with you for getting to pick you up right away because somebody was in crisis, or I'd have to try to catch up with the parishioner who was like, well, why weren't you there? Because you know, you know and I know my area of expertise in ministry is relationships. Mm -hmm. and, and so it wasn't easy trying to keep all that balanced. I know that for sure. I think in ministry, like in anything in life, we may struggle to set boundaries and boundaries are very important in life um, to be careful that we're not uh, trying to please some people and then not pleasing others. And in this case, uh, the pastorate family can sometimes suffer uh, from that. And I, and I'll say this respectfully, but I think pastors also want to please people and like I said, respectfully for their own sake, you know, because of wanting to please people and, and make sure that they're happy with us. And sometimes we can make the wrong decision uh, as well uh, in, in not, maybe not choosing our family at times when we should have. And I think that has effect uh, on families as well. You know, when they make a phone call and they think that you're supposed to be there immediately and you're out doing something. I mean, I've had that happen before. You know, I had my grandson at the time. And you're supposed to just drop all and leave all and run when there could be that gap. You know, you know. so I think that setting boundaries is uh, something that should be done. And I think that it's important for us to realize that pastors do need to be 
you know, what you kind of said is maybe also a people pleaser in, in a way. Yeah. I'm not saying that we, we live to please the people, but we are there to feed those people spiritually. We are there to help them develop spiritually. And um, they need to be able to have a rapport with us as, as pastors. So that's but, not but something think, unusual. I also think that we have to make sure that we're not letting some people in the church control us as pastors and control our families. Yes, that's so that's important. very important because that's going to cause, cause a hardship mm-hmm. amongst the family. That's right. And, and I think, Pete, when I was reading through and thinking about this topic, what always kept me centered as I struggled with this reality of boundaries in ministry and family is when I was looking over 1 Timothy 3 in particular, verse 4, where it says he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner that is worthy of full respect. And there are days where, as Joy has noted, and, you know, where I struggle with, am I really managing my family well? Am I really keeping those boundaries? And there were times where, no, I didn't. I mean, Joy has another time where vacation ended a day early, and we were in a GMC motorhome in 1976, it was green, and I won't tell you what we called it past that. And I uh, made peace signs out the back window. Yes, you did. Yep. It was very psychedelic. Um, as we digress, but I had uh, a family who had a stillborn, and we ended up stopping vacation a day early. We were heading back anyways. But Joy did remember, hey, wait a minute. You gave up a day of vacation to care for this stillborn and it was something we talked about at length and it's like that first timothy text three keeps coming in my mind am i managing my family well as i deal with those boundaries because i think you're right about the boundaries vicky no and i agree as well and i i have to say i think being a pastor's kid comes with its blessings and its burdens and the blessing is that we do have extended family and that especially being at the church we have been for 26 years I have grandparents and aunts and uncles, and they do love on me well, but I also have to sacrifice for them, for their care in ways that they don't have to sacrifice for mine. And so it's a double-edged sword. There's blessings and burdens both ways. But I think that that's something that we can teach our children as PKs that, because life is about sacrifices, and that right there, Don, that was a, a huge sacrifice that you had to make, but, you know, I'm a pastor that tells you you made the right one. Uh, I really believe that with all my heart when someone's having that kind of a tragic experience and Joy's on board with that. But there is a lot of sacrifice, but I just think that that's a good learning thing for us as well. Mm -hmm. And I know that sometimes that doesn't have to do just with being a pastor or, or being a part of a church. I mean, say that stillborn would have happened on in... Uh, uh, with a member of your family, you probably would have had the same kind of situation where you'd had to go be with a, a family member had that happened. And we're thankful it wasn't a member of your family that you had to deal with. But still, um, sometimes I think the church can get blamed when something bad happens, when it has really nothing to do with the church. I mean, I'm sure that the people who had the stillborn child certainly did not want that to happen. You know, I mean, even as a pastor, there have been times when when uh, I have to stop myself when I've thought about something, I'm sure that this person really isn't doing this because they want to inconvenience me. You know, they'd rather not be in the hospital or whatever. Um, and that happens with um, with pastor's kids as well. And um, one thing that I would like to bring up here, um, 
as we're getting maybe about five minutes before we have to close, is I, I think we are all blessed right here. We have Joy, we have Sarah, we have Matthew, and, and we even have Mick, who all grew up as pastors' kids who were the, quote, good ones. I have had people talk to me about pastors' kids. I have seen pastors' kids who did not get with the program. I remember talking to the pastor of a church one time where I was holding a revival and one of his daughters just simply had nothing to do with God. Um, he was part of a, another denomination that I was not part of at that time, but uh, part of the expectation was in that denomination, he would get a vehicle that the denomination would provide with him because the understanding was the pastor would provide rides to and from church and activities um, for people who didn't have rides. And apparently after the service one day, the, the pastor was called into a quick meeting and one of the older ladies, this is what was told to me, one of the older ladies started looking at her watch saying, well, I wonder when pastor's going to get here. I really need to get home. And his, at that time, teenage daughter looked at the lady and said, without him, you wouldn't even have a ride. So shut up. <laughs> And, uh, you know, that's probably the mildest thing that has happened with some PKs. And I just want to say how blessed uh, we are to have this group of PKs. And we have about three minutes here left. And um, I'd just like to ask, Sarah, we haven't gotten to hear a whole lot from you yet. And we're going to try to get to hear more from everybody during our second episode here. But Sarah, I would just like to maybe ask you to share a time that perhaps it was a real blessing to you um, to be a preacher's kid? I think it's, I've been very, very blessed to feel like most of my time as a, as a pastor's kid, I felt like it was a blessing. My, my church has always been small. And like I said earlier, I'm very close knit, even as we grew. And I had these people who had been involved in my life since an early age, people of all age ranges that were very um, just supportive of me and everything I did and were always happy to hear any news I had to share about what I was doing in school or what projects I was working on. And when I was, uh, well, actually when I was getting ready to, um, I was pregnant with our first child at the time, I took a mission trip to Peru and I actually was able to do a presentation in front of my church about the trip that I was going to be taking and they helped raise funds for me to be able to go. And then when I got back, I was able to share with them everything that I had seen and learned and experienced. And it's just, uh, our church has always been a place that I felt very comforted and just accepted. Everybody there was just like second parents to me. So it, it was just very supportive. That's really interesting because you were saying, Sarah, basically that you didn't stop to be a pastor's kid when you were no longer a kid. That's something really insightful. And I think, Don, I think you had something that you wanted to say at this point as well. I know with uh, my three children, they're always going to be the preacher's kid when they come back to Danforth. They, they just, I'm, I'm amazed at, even though they've been out of the church for quite a while, they come back and you feel them saying, yep, we're still the PK, we're PMAX kids, you know, and it's both an honor and a curse at the same time, because it's like we're young adults, we're on our way, we're no longer that PK, and then all of a sudden, you know, like Sarah said so beautifully, yep, I'm still a PK, I'm still connected to this church, they know me as a PK as well as a young adult. That's a great uh, bit of insight, Don, and uh, it's really interesting for me to hear this because we're, we're talking here, we have uh, 
pastors and we have pastor's kids. And I don't know that a lot of people in the churches have always been able to hear about the pastors and their families from both the perspectives of the pastors themselves and from the perspectives of the pastor's kids. So we're just going to keep these mics open uh, this time as we do so often here on Reconciling Grace. And we're going to come back with a part two of this episode on Preacher's Kids. So for our regular panelists, Vicki Cundiff, Don McDonald, Mick Wells, and also for our guests today, Preacher's Kids, Matt and Sarah Vecchi and Joy Lyle, this is Pete Vecchi. We'll see you next time for Reconciling Grace. This has been Reconciling Grace. If you have a comment or a question for our panel, or if you would like to invite one or more of our panelists to share with your church or group, please send an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. And thank you for listening to Reconciling Grace. Reconciling Grace.